Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Well, hey, if you haven't been with us, we are currently... um, in a message series where we're walking through Paul's letter to the Galatians, a six-chapter letter found in the New Testament, and we're studying it verse by verse and walking through its themes um, over the next uh, 12 weeks or in that span. Uh, today, we're in the third week of our study, and uh, in the text that we're going to be looking at today, Paul is he's in the, it's the historic part of the letter. So in the first few chapters, Paul's giving history and background to what he's talking about. And uh, so as we uh, enter into the second chapter today, we're going to hear Paul continuing his defense. And last week we learned about how Paul, in the end of the first chapter, defended his calling and his message. Uh, What had happened was uh, Paul had gone to the region of Galatia, which was a Roman province. And while he was there, he told people about this, this man named Jesus, who was the Son of God, who came to fulfill prophecy, and who came uh, to die in our place for our sins, to, to make a way for all mankind to be right with God. And so Paul traveled to these regions, and he would talk to Jewish people to tell them that their Messiah had come, but then he would tell the Greeks and the Romans and the Scythians and whatever other nationalities were in those cities, he would tell them the good news about Jesus coming for them. And people would believe on Jesus, and churches would form gatherings like we have today, Uh, probably looked a little differently, but all these people would gather and worship God, and they would celebrate what Jesus had done together. Well, once Paul would start a church, he would move on to another place, and there were Jewish Christians, we'll say, who came from Jerusalem, from the mother church, and they came to this region, and they began adding to the gospel. They said, yes, we're saved through what Jesus has done. Yes, it's about Jesus, but you also have to become a Jew. You have to become circumcised. You have to follow the Jewish food laws, uh, obey the, the laws of Moses and the commands in the Old Testament. And so essentially they were saying in order to follow a Jewish Messiah, Jesus, you had to become Jewish. And so Paul writes this letter to the Galatians to, to basically answer this question and say, no, you don't have to become Jewish to follow the Jewish Messiah. That faith in Christ alone is the thing that makes us right with God. Not circumcision, not food laws, not the way we dress, not the ceremonies we keep. And so Paul writes, uh, in, in, in essence, to correct this faulty message that was being preached. And this was such a big issue in the early church, folks. I know we think oh, like circumcision is kind of like this ancient tradition, and some of us know what it is. Some of you younger folks are like, I don't even know what that is. Don't worry about it. You know, ask your parents at home. They'll tell you all about it. Um, you know, so, so for us, like circumcision is not, a, is not an issue in church. But within the first 20 years of the, the church of Christ going out into the world, it was a huge issue because they had to decide whether Judaism was part of salvation or not. It's kind of a big deal because the, the faith that we believe in and the Messiah that we follow was a Jew. And he kept all the laws of Moses and he did all those things. And so the question was, do we, do we impose the law of Moses onto these, these people from other nations who are now receiving Jesus? That's a huge question. And there was a massive disagreement within the early church. And what we're going to see today, because again, in chapter 2, we're in the historic section. Paul is giving us history. He's telling us what happened. So as a preacher, I'm like, so what do I preach about? Well, 
Today I want to talk and teach on the subject of disagreement. Everyone's favorite subject. Put the word up there so everyone can smile at it. Disagreement. Don't you just love disagreeing with people? Don't you just love being in disagreements? Of course not. And yet what we discover is that Paul is literally going to go to Jerusalem to settle a disagreement. And I'm so thankful that he was willing to disagree on this subject. I'm so thankful that he was willing to stand on the truths that he had received from Christ. We've all benefited from Paul's willingness to disagree uh, with many of the people that were alive in his time. And so I want to talk about disagreement. Let's get a definition first. Merriam-Webster de- defines the word disagree in this way. To fail to agree. That kind of makes sense. To differ in opinion. That means you and someone else have a different opinion. That's a disagreement. And here's the third part, super important. To cause discomfort or distress. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you disagree with somebody, especially if it's on an important topic, there is a lot of discomfort. It's, it's not fun. It's always awkward to have disagreements with other people, especially on the issues that matter most. So I thought today uh, we would find a way to have a little fun with this. And what I want to do is visually demonstrate with you some of the disagreements that we have. As much as we're a loving church and we'd like to think we agree on every topic, let's have a little fun. So if you, somewhere around your seat, you should find two cards, a green card and a red card. If you go ahead and grab those. If you're in the back and you're like, I didn't get a card, there's lots of them up in the front. Just move on up and grab one. That's great. Um, So we got these cards. So green means yes. Red means no. Everybody say yes. Let me see it. All right. That, that's good. We got one red card and the rest of them are green. Okay. Uh, let's see everybody say no. Let's see that. Okay. Now, before we begin, I'm going to give you a number of statements, and I want you to respond as truthfully as you can. There is no judgment in this place. This is not look around and see who to attack later because of their, uh, d- the way they disagree with you. Okay. So I'm going to make a statement, and, and you can't like look around and everybody's got a green, so you know I'm going to go green and None of that. It has to be honest response. Boom, boom. Okay, so we're going to start light. Uh, Let's try this. Okay, number one, you love country music. Okay, we had some reds went up really quick and some greens. We are totally divided on the subject of music. All right, you can put those cards down. Let's try another one. Okay, okay, we don't agree on the subject of music. Okay, pineapple belongs on pizza. (laughs) Okay, no talking, just hold up your card. All right, okay, there's a lot of yeses and some definite noes, okay. Here's another one. Um, Toilet paper should roll out over the top. Wow, okay, I see. Thank you, there's a few people that agree with me. Red, okay, Um, that's great. Put your cards down. All right, now, this is going to be somewhat controversial. This dress is black and blue. Okay, we got a bunch of... Okay, see, the people that are putting up the red card actually see that as being white and gold. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So this is, this is the thing that was on the internet a few years ago. It's just like, I don't understand how that works. But many of us are seeing something different when we look at that. Okay, that, okay put those cards down. Um, you ready? Now remember, no judgment here. I need your honest opinion on this next one. Donald Trump is going to make America great again. Come on, throw those cards up. All right, we got a nice mixture of cards. That's great. We disagree on politics, too, apparently. That's, that's great. Notice I didn't vote because I, I don't want to split the church or anything. So, 
I just, I just made things uncomfortable by mentioning Donald Trump. See what I did? Because there's so much disagreement. And disagreement makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Uh, let's try a few more. The world would be a better place if everyone would just agree with me. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> okay, I got some honest people with greens and some, some reds going up going, no, I don't think that would be so great. Okay, uh, let's, tr- let's try one more. There's been complete disagreement on just about everything I've said so far. Um, how about this one? We are saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Okay, this is encouraging to me as a pastor to see all these green cards. You go ahead and put those down. What, what I wanted you to see today is, is simply this. We disagree on a lot of things. Everyone in this room has different perspectives, different opinions, different values, different gifts. There's so much diversity. And yet the thing that unites us is our faith in Jesus. It's the thing that we're fighting for. It's the thing that we believe in that unites us, even though we may differ politically and about pineapple on pizza and all of these other somewhat trivial things. It, it is our unity around Christ that matters. And, and here's the thing. I said this last week that God has literally called each of us to something unique. I, I really believe that God has called you to something that only you will do, that I won't do. And that's super important because then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's a purpose to my life. God wants me to do something that no one else can do. So there's, there's significance. This is a calling of God on your life. But here's the thing you need to understand, that if God has called each of us to do something unique, that if he has gifted each person in this room, young and old, with a, a unique gift, a talent, an ability, a calling, a spiritual gift, whatever it is, then that means that the church and this community will be full of diversity. Diversity is a good word. That means we're not all the same. It means we're different. We see, some of us see a blue and black dress, others see a white and gold dress, and, and you're both right. Uh, technically, it is blue and black. I, I did, was able to confirm that online. But you, you understand what I'm saying? We have different perspectives, different things that we see. And diversity is this beautiful thing. But here's the one thing you need to understand. You cannot have diversity without disagreement. It's impossible. Think about it. Like if we all agreed on everything, there would be no diversity. And diversity is a powerful gift from God. We're not all supposed to think the same. We're not all supposed to feel the same. We're not all supposed to look through the same lens. God has wired us uniquely. And and so really the goal for us as a church is not to never disagree. The goal for us as a church is to learn to disagree well. That's very different. And so today we're going to see Paul, as we get into our text, he goes to Jerusalem to settle a disagreement. We're going to learn how he did it. We're going to learn some principles. And we're going to learn lots of important things. But diversity and disagreement, they always always go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. I was, we had a conversation in our small group recently, just a few of us were chatting, and we were just marveling at how opposites attract. You know that phenomenon? And we were talking about how in marriage, often, not always, but often opposites attract. An, an introvert will be attracted to an extrovert. Oh, he's so friendly, she's so friendly, I just, I just think that's so amazing, and you're attracted, and then you get married and your spouse wants to go out and be with people all the time, and you want to just stay home in a hammock and read a book by yourself, recharge, and you're going, why did I marry somebody like that? Because it was, it was attractive to you. A saver will often marry a spender. Like, that's going to go well, right? You get, you, you, get, you get somebody who's so logical, right? Like, everything's a plan, everything's a checklist, and they marry somebody who's emotional and sporadic and life with... Just, and, and it's just like... Oh, it's so amazing. It's everything I'm not. And then you have to live with everything you're not, right? This diversity, 
And it's this amazing thing. Uh, it's, it's, like a, it's like a counterbalancing effect that happens. It's fascinating. When you read uh, the book of Genesis in the creation account, you, you see this, this duality, right? It, it begins and everything's dark and God creates light. So there's light and darkness. They're two separate things coexisting. And then he separates the water from the earth, the dry land and the water, the heavens and the earth. And then he creates Adam and divides Adam into male and female, husband and wife. There's this two different things complementing and working together, counterbalancing one another. It's, it's the way the world was designed to work. So if our goal is to eliminate disagreement, we won't live. We won't learn. Because everything is dependent on this tension that exists between differences. And it's there that we grow and it's there that we change. Even, even politically, and I never really talk about politics from the stage, but just to say this, that our democratic system in the West was designed with this kind of duality in mind. You have the right and the left, conservatives and liberals, two different vantage points, two different ways of seeing the world, two different values, and they're, they're supposed to disagree well. They're supposed to debate. They're supposed to fight for middle ground so that the whole country doesn't spin off out of control in one direction or the other. You don't want to live in a country where everyone's liberal because the whole, everything will just roll in that direction. You also don't want to live in a country where everything is conservative. That's equally as bad. Everything rolls off that way. You want to have a safe space to disagree well, to find the middle ground, to keep the pendulum from swinging too far in one direction or the other. Does this make sense? So disagreement, it's not something we run away from. It's something that we, we need to learn to do well. Does that make sense? That's what we want to talk about today. People sometimes falsely assume that if you're a Christian, you'll agree with everybody. All Christians agree. I think we put that a myth to bed this morning, right? Just seeing the cards. We don't agree on a lot of things. In fact, I'd almost argue that Christians disagree on more things because not only do we disagree on politics and food and you know, what kind of vehicles we drive and everything else, we also have theology to disagree about, right? Like, how does God work, and who does he, how does he do this, and what things are for today, and so we have all of these additional things that we can disagree on, but I believe that as Christians, we need to learn to disagree well, to honor and respect, to learn and to counterbalance one another in whatever ways we can. So, can we agree? It's an important topic. Some of you are like, no, I don't like this topic. Well, you're proving my point, Right? I don't want to live with people I disagree with. Don't get married. <laughs> don't live in a family. Don't become part of a church because you're never going to find a church where everyone agrees. They're definitely not all going to agree with you because you're wrong. Let's throw that out there. <laughs> we're all wrong somewhere. So as we jump into our text today, we're looking at Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1, the beginning of the chapter. Remember, Paul's been telling the story of how he got his calling, how God called him, and how he spent three years uh, learning about what God had taught him, this revelation of the gospel, and then he continues in the second chapter with these words. Then he says, After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. He says up again because in the first chapter, he described how um, early on in his ministry, he had gone to Jerusalem and spent 15 days with Peter. But he didn't go to see the council and all the elders and apostles. He spent time with Peter and left again. So he says, now, after this long period of time, I went up again a second time to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Paul always traveled with a companion and a partner. He was not a, he was not a lone wolf. 
We think of Paul as this one guy changing the world. He always had someone standing right beside him doing it with him. He was often the spokesperson, but Barnabas is absolutely significant in Paul's ministry. And so they go to Jerusalem together, and this is important, taking Titus along with me. Now what you need to know about Titus, Titus is a young man who believes in Christ, who is really, uh, Paul is mentoring and discipling him, but he's Greek. Again, we don't think this is a big deal, but he wasn't circumcised. And he was going to the Mecca, the, the center of, of Judaism. He's going to meet with all the apostles who are Jewish, who followed Jesus. And he's going to be standing there, a Greek, not practicing Judaism in the, midst of this, in the midst of this space. Paul brings him along to say, look what God is doing in Titus. And you might recognize his name because Paul later writes a letter to Titus to encourage him in his ministry. And you can read about it in the New Testament. And so they go to Jerusalem. They are going to stand in front of many of the leaders of the early church. We assume many of the apostles of Jesus were there, other deacons and elders and however the structure was. And you can read about this interaction in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, we see Paul and Barnabas presenting the gospel, that faith in Jesus alone is the way of salvation, and that circumcision and becoming Jewish is is not for everybody. And when they go to this council, you can read about it in Acts 15, The verdict is, you do not have to become Jewish to follow a Jewish Messiah, and we're thankful for that, all right? And that was the verdict, and they literally gave Paul a letter stating that we affirm your gospel, that this is the true gospel, and they send him back out to do his ministry now with the authority of the church behind him. This is super important. And so, um, we look at verse 2. Here's what he says next. He says, I went up to Jerusalem because of a revelation. God had, had shown Paul this message of, of faith through, uh, salvation through faith in Christ and set before them, who? He tells us, though privately before those who seemed influential. Paul, when he goes to Jerusalem, he finds the most influential leaders. And we don't know who they are, but he goes to the most influential leaders in the early church and he presents to them privately the gospel that Jesus had shown him. And he presented the gospel, he says, that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order that I, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So in this one verse, I want to share with you a couple things. Um, Essentially, this idea of how to disagree well. We see Paul's example, how he approaches the Jewish council. um, And I think there's some really important things that can help us. So if you're in a disagreement with your parents, If you're in a disagreement with someone at work, you're in a disagreement with your husband or wife, and I know some of you are because you're human and you're here, and if you are, here are some some keys that will help you to disagree well, okay? So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. Seek truth, not victory. If you're disagreeing with someone, the goal is to get to the truth, not to win, If you're disagreeing with somebody, it means you both think differently, and if your goal is to win the discussion you may never discover truth. In fact, what I've discovered in my own life is that if I'm really trying to win at all costs, it, it quickly becomes personal, right? Because if I, can't, if I can't convince you of my side, then the easiest thing to do is to discredit you or to say something about you or to make the conversation personal because then it's not my idea versus yours, it's me versus you. And that's a fight nobody can win. And it becomes messy. I know, you guys would never do this, right? So, We want to seek truth, not victory. 
There have been so many times because I love to battle. I love to debate. I love to argue with anybody. Come see me after church. Just pick a topic. We'll argue. It'll be so much fun for me. Okay? I love it. My wife, on the other hand, is just not that interested. And so if we're in a disagreement, you know, she'll be like, okay, you win. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I didn't really. So I like following her around. I'm like, but this, and have you thought about this? And, and, and just, I, I got to win, right? I, I know some of you are like, yeah, I know what that feels like. But here's the thing. You can win and not win. You know, you know there's this old adage, right? Uh, and I think I've heard it referred to marriage. Say, you can be right or you can be happy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can be right or you can be happy. Sometimes we get so caught up in winning the argument that we lose sight of truth altogether, and that's not helpful for anyone. So we want to seek truth, not victory. Here's the second thing you want to do if you're in a disagreement with somebody. Here's how you can disagree well. Number two, talk to the right people. There's so many times when, um, when someone says something or disagrees with you or you're upset about something, and it's so tempting Rather than going to talk to the person you disagree with, which, remember, is awkward and difficult, instead of doing that, it's easy to talk to the people around us. And that's never good, right? If your boss does something you disagree with, instead of making a meeting with your boss and saying, hey, here's how I perceive it, this is how it affects me, uh, why did you make that decision, may I ask, and humbly saying, hey, can we, can we talk about this? Instead, it's so much easier to turn to the person beside you and be like, can you believe he did that or she did that? Can you believe? Oh, man, how dumb is that? The company's going down now, you know, and everyone just mumbling and complaining. And you're talking sideways instead of up. Instead of going to the person you disagree with, you talk to everybody about it. And here's the worst part. I've experienced this, and maybe some of you have. You get upset because you're disagreeing, and you start talking to everybody around you, and then you eventually talk to the person you disagree with and, and find out that it was actually a misunderstanding. But you've already spread poison to everyone around you. Nothing good comes of it. So imagine if we could be the kind of people that when we disagree with someone, we would go to the person we disagree with instead of talking to everyone around. This would end most of gossip, a lot of hurt and slander and all these things that destroy relationships in the church and in our families and in our communities. So talk to the right people. Go up, not sideways, not down. Number three, this is probably the hardest one. Consider the possibility that you might be wrong. Like, if there isn't in your mind even a possibility that you could be wrong, you cannot learn anything. Like, what if you're 95% right but 5% wrong? Wouldn't you want to know that? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to gain that understanding and change something? I mean, if, if two people are in a disagreement and both assume they are 100% right, guess what's happening? Nothing. You're going to get nowhere. Nothing but harm. And then, of course, it will get personal because... Neither side considers the possibility that they could be wrong. Let me, sh let me show you this. Uh, Paul goes to Jerusalem because these Judaizers that were coming and saying, Paul's message isn't right, you need to become Jews. And he's like, oh yeah? And they're like, yeah, the church in Jerusalem says so. Well, let's go up and have a conversation with the leaders in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what he does. He goes right to the source, he talks to the right people, he presents his gospel, and then... Notice what he says. These words really captured me this week. He says this as he's presenting his gospel. He says, in order, this is why he did it, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul's like, maybe, maybe I've got some small thing wrong. I'm going to present it to these people that I believe are leaders. 
godly men, apostles, and I'm going to present the message that Jesus gave to me just on the off chance that something could be wrong. And what's so powerful is he comes with the right spirit, presents the information, and the leaders and apostles go, that's right. You're right. We're affirming your message, and we're sending you out with letters to continue your work. I believe that this is why Paul was able to say in the first chapter, if anyone teaches you anything other than what I've taught you, let them be accursed. The original language literally says, basically, let them go to hell. Like, they're so wrong. This is true. He was so sure of it, not just because he heard from God, but because he heard from God and it had been affirmed by the leaders of the church. And I believe that that's significant. I mean, I believe that that God does speak to his people, that the Holy Spirit leads us, right? If we have individual callings, then we need God to lead us to those things. So God is at work. I believe he's leading us in different ways. And we need to hear his voice and we need affirmation, right? You know, my wife, uh, when she was younger, she was in a church environment where people really, really, really wanted to hear from God. And so when people really want to hear from God, sometimes they get it right and sometimes they get it wrong. That par for the course. And there were, before I came along, there were six men who approached her and told her that God said they were going to marry her. Of course, that was never affirmed by anyone, including her. And uh, so I won that one. It was, it was, <laughs> I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful she, uh, she wanted to hear God for herself. Um, in fact, when we started this church, part of the process for me um, was, it was about nine years ago today, around this time of year, nine years ago, that I began to sense God was leading my wife and I to do something, to plant a church, to do something unique in the city that other churches weren't doing. And, and it was that, it was like, oh, I, I really believe God's talking to me. I'm going to leave my business behind and pursue this. And it was like, I was getting all excited, but then I thought, you know what? No, this this needs to be affirmed. I, this can't just be me hearing from God. If everyone just did what they thought God was telling them to do, it would be a crazy world. I, I went straight to my pastor, Brian Mahood, and I sat down with him and I said, I believe God's leading me in this direction. This is what I think he's asking me to do. And to have my pastor and some of the leaders of the church say, yes, that is, we believe, we see that in you and we support that and we're behind you. I can't tell you what that meant. Because then, because I'm telling you, when days are tough, like I'm a pastor, and there are days when things get rough, and on those days, the only thing you have is, I heard from God, and it was affirmed, and so I'm going to keep going in this direction, because God has led me here. Like, that's all you've got. And so it makes a difference. You want to hear from God and and have that affirmed. It means so, so much. So we're moving on to verse 3. But even Titus, he continues, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. (laughs) Remember, he's defending you don't have to be circumcised. And he says, by the way, we brought Titus, this Greek young man, into this Jewish circle, and even they in Jerusalem did not force him to be circumcised. And he's using that as a proof. Verse 4, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. He says, while we're in Jerusalem, there were false brothers, false Christians, who snuck in trying, trying to disrupt what was going on, trying to bring us into bondage. Did you know that there are crafty Christians that are on a mission, not God's mission, they're on their own mission? It's true, they're out there, not in our church. Other churches have them. You know, crafty Christians. And look, there are all kinds of Christians, Christians uh, that mess up all the time. I mess up, I know you guys mess up, so it's not, this isn't about failing, this is about motives and intentions to destroy. 
And there are, and there can be people who come into churches and, again, maybe they're more interested in winning than finding truth. Maybe they're more interested in their own mission than the mission that God has us on. And so, obviously, we want to care for and love everyone, but we also need to, need to make sure that we know what we're standing on so that we don't get sidetracked. And, and Paul says these, these false brothers came in, and they began disrupting things. It's interesting, as a pastor over these last eight years, um, the people who have caused the least problems in the church, and we haven't had a lot, it's not bad, but the people who have caused the least problems are the people that are new to faith. They're like, oh, yeah, and they're just learning about God, and they're like, okay, so that's what we're to do, and they kind of take the next steps, and they're going along. The people that cause all the problems are Christians. That's always the case. It's religious people, right? And, and people come to this church from other churches. This is normal. And people come in, and they have their own lens. So like, this is the way we always did it. Our church always did it this way. Why doesn't this church do it this way? I'm like, why did you leave that church if it was so great back there, Right? There's this idea of like, okay, we all have our filters, our lens, our viewpoint, and we disagree, and so then disagreement begins to disrupt the unity of the church. And so Paul says, look, these false brothers came in, verse 5, we didn't yield to them. We didn't submit even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul says on this point of the gospel, it wasn't like, oh, we just agree to disagree. He's like, this is a hill we die on. Facing Christ alone, that's the one we don't budge. There are some topics that you don't just agree to disagree. They are, we call them close-handed things that we go, no, these are foundational and we agree on these and we close the hand. They're not up for debate. There are way more that are in the open hand what we can disagree, agree to disagree on the other side. He says, we wouldn't yield in submission for even a moment. The gospel is one of the things we must continue fighting for, all right? And you know, there are other things other than the gospel that you need to fight for. Like, I would say this. As a parent, one of the most difficult roles of being a parent or being a leader of other people um, would be deciphering which hills to die on. Like, what are the issues that you, you need to go, okay, no, we're fighting this one out until we, we resolve it. And what are the ones that you go, it's a phase, it'll pass. It's a fad, it'll go away. Trying to figure that out is where you need God working in your life and leading you. Because as a parent, there are so many things you're like, want to freak out? Ah! And it's like, no, that's a passing fat. And there's this thing over here you haven't even noticed that is the real issue in your family. And, and figuring that out, which hill do we tie on, is probably the most difficult thing of leading a family or a business or any kind of an organization. So um, may God grant us wisdom in that. Verse 6, and from those who seem to be influential... What they were makes no difference to me. In other words, I wasn't so concerned with their title, elder, deacon, pastor, whatever. He's like, these are people who are leading. These are people who are significant. God shows no partiality. He says, those, I say, who seemed influential, the leaders in the early church added nothing to me. So you can say you got to be circumcised, but the leaders in, in, in Jerusalem did not enforce that on us. So the gospel is one of those closed-handed issues. Let me just share quickly what some of these closed and open-handed issues are for us. So, for example, in the closed hand for us as a church, the Bible. This is God's Word. This is His revelation of who He is. This is, as we read the Bible, we find His plan of redemption for humanity. That's what we find in the Bible. So, we value it highly. What's in the open hand? Which translation you read? Certain verses, how you translate them? Sure. Uh, somebody goes, no, pastor, it has to be King James only. 
Because if it's not in Elizabethan English, it is not God's word. Um, I, I joke, but, but there are many churches that like, that's the only one. Like, I, I pray that you will allow your kids to read the revised version because they won't understand half those words. We don't even use them anymore. I love the King James, and I would love to argue with you all the translations, where they came from, which ones are most beneficial for open hand, closed hand Bible, open hand translations, okay? We go into uh, things like who God is. He's the creator, and he's sovereign. Like That's in the closed hand. We're not arguing that. There's one God, one God alone. Now, on the open hand, it's like, well, how does his grace work? Is God a Calvinist or an Arminian, you know? Which way does grace come to us, you know? Or how old is the earth? Well, we can debate those things. Let's just keep those in the open hand. He created it. He's sovereign. Let's discuss those things and let's do it in a healthy way. Um, We have things like who Jesus is. He is God, a very God. He is the Son of God. He is um, God revealed to us. That's Jesus, okay? Now, there's all kinds of other things we can disagree in the open hand, but there are those things that are going to stay in the, in the closed hand. We've got things like the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is at work. We fundamentally, that's in our closed hand as a church. The Holy Spirit is alive and at work in those who follow Jesus. Leading, guiding, teaching, revealing, all of that. Now, you want to discuss whether speaking in tongues is for today or prophecy whether God still does miraculous healing or not, like we can discuss that. And in this church, if, we, if I said, who believes in speaking in tongues? There would be all different cards, green and red, going up in this room, and that's okay. That's okay, as long as we disagree well, as long as we listen to one another. Because here's what I've discovered, that if you listen and talk to somebody who disagrees with you, you'll learn something, that there's a reason why they believe what they believe. And when you begin to listen, you learn, and you'll find yourself moving in their direction, and they hopefully in yours. The church. The church is the collection of God's people who follow Christ. I mean, that is the church, and it's organized into local assemblies, but how it's organized, its board structure, the length of service, how bright it is, the style of music, the kids' ministry, like all those things are in the open hand, all right? We're going to agree to disagree on some of those things. So it's this idea. Is this making sense? Closed hand, open hand. We want to make sure that we're on track with that. Those are the things we fight for in the closed hand, all right? So we continue on uh, in verse 7. On the contrary, he says, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, sorry, to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. Sounds like there's two gospels, doesn't it? Like when you look at that. That's not what they're saying. They're talking about that there is one gospel, faith in Christ alone, but the way that gospel is presented is very different culturally. So the way that message was brought to the Gentiles, the Romans and the Greeks, was very different than the way it was brought to the Romans or to the Jews, I'm sorry. Very, very different. Did you know that if you share the gospel even today with a 70-year-old, it will look very different than with a 17-year-old? It's not the message. It's not the core value that changes the scriptural truth. It's the approach. And we see here this acknowledgement that, hey, there are two different distinct groups of people. There's Jews and Gentiles, and the way we approach them and do ministry is going to be very different between. And just like you and I have a unique calling on our lives, something that we do that no one else does, I believe that each local church has a unique calling. And that's why, that's why I can support and encourage the other churches in our city. As long as we agree on Jesus and the Bible and those fundamental close-handed issues like and we do we agree with many of the churches in our city and when we agree on those it's like awesome they're reaching people we never will 
They're, they're offering ministries in our city that we don't offer. And, and we, can, we can support them and pray for them and encourage them and even send people their way, especially the people with problems. Like, no, I'm kidding. We wouldn't do that. I'm just kidding. But, but it's amazing what happens. There's a unity in the church around the gospel, and then everything else, everything else, uh, we can just agree to disagree on. Uh, each church has a, has a, has a calling, and, and honestly, there are amazing churches in our city. And I would hate to have someone part of our church who disagrees fundamentally with our mission. And if there's another church that aligns with you and your heart and what God's doing in your life, then we don't want you to go, but we want you to be where you're going to thrive, where you'll grow, and where you'll be able to use your gifts and talents. I mean, that's what we want. Um, this week, all the renovations at the office, my kids came by to see the offices. And uh, while we were there, um, my wife and I were talking, and my kids always run to my whiteboard and they start drawing pictures on it. And they leave them there for me. And so I love this. It says, Calvary Church rules. I thought that was pretty good. I'm like, at first I'm like, why would my kids write that? And then I was like, no, it does. I know the pastor there. I know lots of people there at an awesome church. And uh, <laughs> that's good. You can take it down. Yeah. <laughs> but it's amazing when you begin to understand that, that each person in this room has something unique to offer that each person in this room has a unique vantage point on the world that God has given them, then instead of fighting for everyone to see it my way, you can begin to learn from others, receive the gift that God has given to them. You begin to appreciate the other ministries, the other people in our church, in our city, and it brings unity around the gospel, not around our model, not around the, the way we do things, but, but around this, this idea of the gospel. Here's the last couple of verses, and we'll close. Verse 9, And when James and Cephas, that's Peter and John, who seem to be pillars. Yeah, I'd, I'd say they're pillars, like the three that were closest to Jesus. When they perceived the grace that was given to me, see, they recognized in Paul something that was unique to Paul, that God had called him to go to people that he hadn't called them to go to. And, and they went, we see it, and they released him in it. They gave the right hand of fellowship. That means that they affirmed him and sent him out to do his work the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Verse 10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. I find that fascinating that they, they, they approved his gospel and they said, yes, we agree with that. Go to the Gentiles. But oh yeah, don't forget in all of your, you know, evangelizing, as you go to all these places and you tell them about Jesus, don't forget to tell them how much Jesus cares about the poor. Like there was something inherent in Jesus's ministry where he helped the poor and cared about the downtrodden, and the church should never lose that. We need to make sure we keep having that and keep pursuing that. It was so vital. They said, don't forget, while you're going with this message, don't forget the poor. I believe that that's one of the signs of an active church is that there is a heart within the church to care for others and to give generously and to care for those who are in need. Honestly, if the church was doing its job um, many of the programs that our government has to put in place maybe wouldn't even be necessary, right? If we were caring for people the way God has called us to. So uh, I want to end with this, this sort of challenge. is just, can we be a church that disagrees well? Instead of running from disagreements, to, to talk to the right people in the right way, to learn from one another, to, to see God's calling and giftings and strengths in others, to affirm it, learn from it. And that takes a whole bunch of humility. But in the end... The church builds its, each other and itself up in love, is what Paul says. And that's my, that's my heart's cry for us as a church and, and for you as individuals.
So I want to uh, pray together and we'll close out our service. Um, Father, thank you, for this, uh, thank you for this message. Thank you for this letter that we have from Paul. And God, I'm, I'm, I'm so challenged at, at Paul's humility in, a, in his approach to deal with an issue that has blessed us. For 2,000 years, the gospel has been clear because Paul was willing to have this disagreement, was, was, was willing to stand on the hill of the gospel and say, no, this one, this one needs to be fought for. God, help us to be people who fight for the truth of the gospel, but Lord, not people who are looking for fights. I pray, Father, that as we disagree with our families and our friends and people within the church, that we would disagree well, that we would learn from one another, that we would, that we would contend with one another to find the middle ground, that we would be looking for truth and not looking for victory. God, thank you for each person that's here today. Thank you for this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.